We'll have this up on the screen for you, or you can open in your Bible to Psalm 46, which we'll begin by reading together. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. I won't read all the Selahs, but I just want to read one to point out that that's a musical instruction, either a, an, a, an instrumental interlude or a change in instrument, something like that. Verse 4, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Um, let's just pray briefly. Father, thank you for these beautiful words. Uh, open our hearts to what you might want to tell us from them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to the psalm proper, I just want you to notice the title. I didn't read that when we started. We usually skip these. But the title of Psalm 46, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. So... We don't know precisely what terms in the Psalms like Alamoth were, but probably a musical instrument to play it on or some other musical instruction. Uh, but we're immediately reminded that we're singing a song, that we're reading a song, a song presented to the chief musician. Some uh, translations have the choir director, or the director of music. So the sons of Korah have presented this song to John Odes to use, you know, for Sunday morning. For use in worship. And I think it bears remembering that the longest book in the Bible is not only a collection of prayers, not just a collection of poems, um, but of songs. The word psalm itself means a sacred song. There's nothing secondary about music, about song. It's older and more powerful than mere prose language. It's interesting that the ancients sang their great stories. Uh, so Homer's story of the Trojan War begins, Sing, goddess, the anger of Peleus' son Achilles and its devastation. How the Iliad opens. And Virgil in his great epic poem of the founding of Rome, begins, I sing of warfare and a man of war. 
But then the very first recorded words of a human being are Adam singing to the newly formed Eve when he meets her. This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Those words are actually the first in the Bible that are in verse form. Now, you're probably aware the Jews were famous for their songs of worship. You may remember when they were carried away captive into Babylon in Psalm 137. They had this lament, uh, beginning in verse 3, For those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. See, that's... That's what they were known for. And then the psalmist says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Which in a sense is a question for each of us this morning. It's kind of a question about our lives. Can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, we're told of our Lord Jesus on that last night as he was leaving for the garden of his suffering. For example, in Mark 14:26, and when they had sung a hymn, which we believe is one of the Hallel Psalms that they sung, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now we're not told, but I don't suppose this is the only time or the first time that uh, Jesus and his disciples ever sang together, sang the Lord's song together. Uh, I suspect this is something they did regularly. You remember how Paul and Silas sang hymns to God one night in a prison in Philippi at midnight. The foundations of the prison shook. And Paul instructed us uh, in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing. And make music from your heart to the Lord. So you see, we're under orders. Sing. Make music from your heart to the Lord. And Christians have been making music and singing songs ever since, actually, from, from Gregorian chant to high Renaissance polyphony to Bach's Mass in B minor to the hymns of Charles Wesley to the praise choruses that we were singing just a few minutes ago. Uh, God's people have sung the song of the Lord. Martin Luther made one out of this very psalm. All the mighty fortresses are God. We sang a couple uh, choruses that seemed to me as I was sitting here the last few minutes came from this psalm. So you might ask, what's this all about? I mean, you might ask in general, why is there music? What's the survival value there What's the Darwinian explanation? Uh, Why song? In other words, how is it that such a thing exists? Now, whatever you may hear, and the, you know, the the evolutionary psychology explanations, if you're if you're in the mood for a good laugh, you, you might try one of those. But whatever you may be told, science has not a clue. What is this thing? Why is this thing? It comes from heaven. 
from the very heart of God. So that we read in Job that at the moment of creation, Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, the heavenly hosts singing uh, for joy at the moment of creation. The heavenly hosts sang again before the shepherds at Christ's birth. And when we're given a glimpse of the heavenly scene in the book of Revelation, we find ourselves surrounded by great choruses of joy and praise and hear the new song sung by the redeemed of the Lamb. So that George MacDonald called heaven those regions where all that is not music is silence. Now the psalmist here in in Psalm 46 sings a song of great comfort for the people of God in difficult times. And its theme, which will be repeated twice more as we'll see, is, is right in that first verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the setting is trouble, right? The setting for the psalm is God's people in trouble. And the promise is that God will be present with us and he will help us, as it says. As he promises in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, he says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You've never memorized that. I recommend it. It comes in handy on bad days. I will be with you, says God, and I will help you. And God himself is our safe place. As it says here, God is our refuge. So we'll hear again in Psalm 61.3, For you have been a shelter to me and a strong tower from the enemy. And Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord. It's a strong tower. You can run into it in danger and be safe. That's the promise. That's the theme of our song. As Moses put it, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And it's impossible that he should drop you, that he should ever let you go. So in, so that in any and every circumstances, we are all the time perfectly safe. Let me say that again. In any and every circumstance, including death itself, we are all the time, perfectly safe. You don't have to be afraid. Now, we often don't feel safe. That needs to be said. Uh, You might, if you've been reading through the Psalms, you may have noticed that Psalm 10 begins like this. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Seems like that to us sometimes. We may not feel safe, but in fact, we are. And because this is our real situation, however you might feel this morning, we can conclude that we need never fear. That's how the argument goes in this verse. God is is our refuge and strength. Therefore, 
the conclusion, we will not fear. So, you know, not fear ever in any circumstance because we can imagine some pretty terrible things happening. Well, the psalmist gives some of the examples he has in mind uh, in verse 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So, uh, now, that's pretty bad, right? That's like a 9.9 earthquake on the Richter scale, like the the world's worst ever tsunami or nuclear holocaust. I mean, the mountains shaking and falling into the sea. In fact, someday Peter tells us in Second Peter 3.12 uh, that there'll come a day in which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. That always seemed uncomfortably familiar to things we try to do with modern technology. But someday, the heavens and earth are going to pass away. Jesus said that too. But he also promised that not one hair of your head will be lost. See, even then, your life will go on. You have an eternal life with God. And it, and it goes on. Even after the heaven, the present heaven and earth are just a memory. Because Peter goes on to say in the next verse, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, so there's the picture. Perfect safety in the most catastrophic circumstances. And now look, we have a stark contrast in the next couple of verses. So think about this. Uh, the waters of the sea are raging, boiling, shaking, swallowing mountains as they roar and are troubled. And in the midst of all this shattering noise, we find this uh, in verse 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You see what's happening there? Uh, now, this is in the city of Jerusalem. So think of the tumult outside, mountains crumbling, wind and storm and roaring of a restless sea, the furious crashing of its waves. And yet here, in the city of God, is something altogether different. A river flowing as a river will, quietly, peacefully, undisturbed, its calm, smooth waters gliding silently along. And those waters are not salt, but sweet. They're life-giving, and they make glad the city now, it's a funny thing. You know, unlike most great ancient cities, the earthly Jerusalem has no such river. It doesn't have anything like the great cities of the ancient world, the Nile, the Euphrates. It's just the little brook Kidron 
which uh, is sun-baked and dry most of the year. So what's going on here? I think we should recognize this river, actually. It's a theme throughout Scripture. It first flowed through paradise. Remember uh, in Genesis 2.10, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads. And it kind of shows up here and there in the scriptures and the prophets. I, I like this, the section in the prophet Ezekiel. Now he's with those captives in Babylon, but God gives him a vision of the new Jerusalem. He carries him in a vision uh, to a Jerusalem to come. And he says this, beginning in chapter 47, verse 1, Then he, an angel, we'll call a man here, then he brought me back to the door of the temple. So there he is at the temple of God. Now, we had that imagery in Psalm 46, right? The, this river coming from the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So here in Ezekiel 47, he brought me to the back door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east which is toward the front of the tabernacle, which opened to the rising of the sun. Uh, Then when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, about 500 yards, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. And everything will live wherever that river goes. Amazing. And in the final chapter of the book of Revelation, when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven... The Apostle John writes this of another angel, and he showed me, chapter 22, verse 1, a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. Again, the same imagery. And of the Lamb, a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which had not been seen in the Bible since Genesis chapter 3, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. And in the very last invitation of the Bible, a few verses uh, later, uh, we read, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, And let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. So this is a theme. This is is the promised what? What does the river speak of? Uh, that, That river speaks of peace, doesn't it? So the Lord tells Israel in Isaiah 48, 18, that if they had obeyed him, uh, then your peace would have been like a river, peace like a river. And in chapter 66, God says, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river 
and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. God's peace can flow through us. I mean, that river, that river can kind of be inside you. God's river can flow through us. God's peace can flow through us like a river. As the hymn writers have noticed, right? Uh, when peace like a river attends to my soul, or uh, this that I have for you above, like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. This is a psalmist who's read Ezekiel 47, right? A hymn writer. God's peace like a river that as you travel through life grows deeper and deeper until you arrive home. So here, with trouble raging all about it, the city of God has a peace in its midst that flows like a river, which is in fact their God. Notice verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is in the midst of this river, right? Of this city. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Well, see, if God is in your midst, what can possibly shake you? If you've taken refuge in God, then you can't be moved unless God is, right? Or as Paul would later put it, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's with us and he will help us. But notice that little part just at the break of dawn or literally just at the turning of the morning. Okay, but what of the night? We may have to wait on God. We may have to trust him for a time in the dark. And sometimes the nights are hard. And on some nights the darkness can seem to seep into our souls. And we're called to trust. We're called to wait. Because as he says in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Isn't morning a wonderful thing? I really, really like morning. The the break of dawn, the turning of the morning, makes me feel much better. You know, when when the dark gives way again, when God turns the darkness into dawn, as it says in Amos, We wake up each morning to a brand new day in which we haven't done anything wrong yet and nothing bad has happened yet. But of course, we also live our whole lives in this world's present darkness. We're to live in hope as children of the day while it's yet night because he's promised that the night is far spent, that day is coming and that the sun will rise with healing in its wings. So that each new morning, a fresh gift from the Father of Lights is a prophecy and a promise of that great day which still waits. God shall help her, says the psalmist, just at the break of day. And then uh, verse 6 begins the second movement of the psalm. Okay, 
The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. And we're not talking about natural catastrophes anymore here. We're talking about people. We're talking about nations, kingdoms. From the raging of the seas, we come to the raging of man. From natural calamities to war. We can suffer from nature, not only earthquakes and hurricanes, but accidents and and disease. But we suffer perhaps more from other human beings, from the way we are with one another, from hatred and violence, from war. But before coming to how God's going to deal with war or how he does deal, we're reminded of our theme We're reminded that in this situation, too, in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. There it is. This is the second mention of God as our refuge. It will be repeated one more time at the end. When you hear it again, you'll know the sermon's over. But uh, I want to spend a little time looking at it more closely just now. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Notice first that it's the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, who is with us. Though unfortunately uh, missing in some modern translations, this great title of God is used over 260 times in the Old Testament. The Lord of hosts. It's a military idea, sometimes translated the Lord of armies, or even the commander of the armies of heaven. That word hosts, sometimes in the Bible, clearly refers to the angels, as in 1 Kings 22:19, where the prophet Micaiah says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And if we read on, you'd see that's clearly the angels. Sometimes it refers to the stars of heaven. As in Nehemiah 9.6, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So you've made the heavens and the earth, the heavens and everything in it, the stars, the earth, and the seas and all that is in them. But whether you think of God commanding the 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands and thousands of angels or guiding the path of untold billions of stars through the night sky, you catch some glimpse of the universal reach of the power and authority of God and is dealing with unimaginable multitudes in the heavens. And see, this is the power that, that he extends on our behalf. The Lord of hosts is with us. See, that's, that's comforting. But perhaps the next phrase is more precious still when he says the God of Jacob is our refuge. Now we see this God of the whole universe stooping down to have dealings with one human being. Maybe not the best specimen either, but... Uh, But just as we can look up at the stars of heaven, we can also look back in history to one man with whom God once wrestled through a night on the ground. 
a young man running away from home to whom God appeared in a vision of a ladder extending between earth and heaven on which the angels ascended and descended and made promises to him. And God entered into covenant with him when he says in Genesis 28, in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's not only the God with all that power of the whole universe, he's the God who's made promises to us, see. He said to Jacob, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And we sitting here this morning are the heirs of that promise. In fact, we're told of that promised seed of Jacob, Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 8.6, that he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So that we can not only say in verse 7 that, that God is with us, that he's our refuge, but we can add with the Apostle Paul from Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's the promise. Now, now we, the subject is turned to the violence of man. And how will this God, our God, deal with uh, human violence, with the wars that have ravaged our race over many centuries? We read in verses 8 and 9 of our psalm, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. So that whereas Homer and Virgil sang of war, here the sons of Korah sing of the end of all war. God himself will break the bow and cut the spear in two and burn the weapons in the fire. The God of peace will make wars cease to the end of the earth. And in that day, as he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, In chapter 2, verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. So, it's in the light of all this that we need not fear not dangers from the wrath of nature or the wrath of man. In any and every circumstance, God says to us, and now it's interesting because the voice of the psalm shifts to God himself in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Notice the nations, the world of men, and, and the earth, nature itself. Just look, you don't have to worry about anything. Be still, be still, and know that I am God. Because he's not only over the nations, but rules from heaven over earth itself, over men and nature. He can give us the secret of his peace. 
And it's just this. Be still. Shh. Be still. Know that I am God. As the prophet says in Isaiah 26.3, Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God can comfort and calm and quiet our troubled hearts as a mother her crying infant. He can speak a word when our hearts are in turmoil and say, be still, be still. As Jesus once spoke to a storm raging on the Sea of Galilee, remember Mark mentioned it last week, in Mark, uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4.39, um, then Jesus arose uh, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Like he said, Shh, hush now. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. A moment before they thought the, they thought the ship was going under, there was a furious storm, Jesus spoke a word and, and said, shh, be still. And there was a great calm. And he can say that to us. He can say that to us when our hearts are in turmoil. He can say, hush, child, be still. And a great calm can come to us. And however that may seem to you today, one day when the storms of this life are past, when the great day comes that will end the night forever, when wars have ceased to the end of the earth, our astonished ears will hear the promise of Zephaniah 3.17 fulfilled. Do you remember it? The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. In his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. The mighty one himself will quiet you, will say to your heart, peace, be still, see, in his love. And not just with a word, but with a song. And then your peace will be like a river and your joy like an ever-flowing stream as you are quieted and comforted by the song of the singer himself, the very place where all the music comes from. And the psalmist concludes, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, um, I'm going to say a little prayer and we're going to sing another song and the prayer team's going to come up. Uh, for anyone who has any needs, immediately after the service, they'll pray with you. Father, uh, your word is so full of such precious, glorious promises, and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that, uh, that you yourself, by your Holy Spirit, can come to us in the midst of trouble and bring your peace and still our troubled hearts.
Father, I pray that would be the experience of everyone here this morning. I pray that um, your good hand of blessing would rest upon them this day and go with them from this place. And uh, now we ask that our, uh, our, our song of praise uh, would be acceptable in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.